Hey, welcome again, everybody, to CVC. So glad to have you. If you're a guest, grateful that you're with us. Hope that this morning is a blessing to you. If you're online live with us right now, thanks for tuning in. I hope that today will also be a blessing for you. We are in a second week in a series called Wisdom for Life. And we're looking in God's Word, specifically the book of Proverbs, trying to glean wisdom from God for our lives. And Proverbs, uh, God gives us guidance, He gives us instructions, He gives us principles for us to live faithfully and wisely and with godly character. Why does God want us to have that? Why does God want to give us wisdom? It's for His glory so that we can reflect Him well and also for our good, that we receive the benefits of living in His ways. But one thing's required. A relationship with God is required in order to see the full meaning behind the Proverbs and to apply the wisdom within the Proverbs. And so as we heard last week, and we'll probably hear every week uh, through this series, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what we're told in Proverbs 1-7, right? You've got to start with the Lord. And so God is the source of wisdom. So the wisdom that He offers us, that He provides us, is the best wisdom we can get our hands on. And one area that we so desperately need God's wisdom is in marriage. Marriage affects all of us, whether it's our parents' marriage, whether you're planning on getting married, whether you're currently married or engaged, or maybe, uh, you know, even if you've been recently divorced. Like, marriage just impacts all of us, and so we need God's wisdom in marriage. And I think we would all agree that marriage really is and can be a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, you know? Like... <laughs> It's not for the, the faint of heart, and so we need wisdom for marriage. And if you Google, you know, tips on marriage, insights for marriage, advice on marriage, you're going to get all sorts of wisdom that's out there. You're going to get bad wisdom, just plain bad advice about marriage. You're, you're going to get some good wisdom, good advice, but it's the best man has to offer. And because it's humanly wisdom, it's going to be flawed. It's going to be insufficient. It's going to have some good stuff, but it's not the best. And then we have the best wisdom, that which is rooted in God's word. And that's what we want to build our families on. Proverbs 24.3 says, by wisdom, a house is what? It's built. It's this wisdom that we build our homes, our families, and by understanding it's established. So the reason that some of you are struggling in your marriages, or the moments of struggling in your marriage, or maybe that you only have just a good marriage, or maybe your future marriage singles might be a marriage of suffering or struggling or just good, is because you're not building your marriage on God's wisdom. You have to build it on God's wisdom, and you can't do that unless you're in a relationship with God. And so right out of the gate, like we urge you to get uh, into relationship with Jesus, receive him as your Lord, receive him as your Savior, and then build your home, your life, your marriage, your family on the wisdom that God gives you in Christ. I know that's what me and my wife, Rika, have endeavored to do for the last 25 years. Uh, some of you know this, but <laughs> we met in high school. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I didn't tell you I was going to throw those up there. <laughs> um, you look great. Uh, me, on the other hand, I did have hair. All right. Uh, um, a lot of it, actually. But we met in high school, 
And we were friends for a couple years, and then we dated for five years. One of those years was our engagement, and we both were followers of Christ at the time, but we knew right out of the gate that we were going to need more than just our wisdom, and even just the advice around us to have the best marriage that God wanted. We needed godly wisdom, advice that was rooted in God's Word. One of the best pieces of advice that we received that was rooted in God's Word was don't go to bed mad. Don't go to bed mad. That's rooted out of Ephesians 4, right? 26, 27. Be angry. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because we all know the lie, right? The lie is you're having conflict with your spouse, you're mad at each other, and you just roll over mad thinking you're going to wake up feeling better. You know that's not true because like in the middle of the night, you're marinating what you're mad in subconsciously and you know, it's like it's multiplying inside of you and like you went to bed with one mean rabbit, now you've got like a whole litter of them when you wake up. You know, it's like cancer, it's grown, it's multiplied and so you wake up more mad then you went to bed. And some of you might be thinking, no, I don't experience that. Well, then you're a stuffer. And so what you do is you wake up and put on the happy face until the next conflict happens. And then whatever you slept on comes out of its cave at that point in time for the rest of the argument about, you know, whatever you're talking about. And so when that happens, it gives the devil an opportunity to cause division, damage, distance with our spouse. And so, man, that was just great advice, godly advice, rooted in God's word. One of the worst pieces of advice that we had have, uh, heard was that marriage is a 50-50 deal. You know, some of you are going, oh, you know, right? It's like, yeah, we're, I'm not bringing 50% in and she's bringing 50% in. This isn't a labor contract. This is a covenant between man and woman and God. And so you got to give 100, 100. A man puts 100% into his marriage. A wife puts 100% into the marriage. And then you just you know, see what God's going to do with that. So that was terrible advice. We rejected that out of the gate. And so we know that there's just all this kind of you know, good, bad, and godly advice out there. I actually did a little poll on Facebook this last week just to see what some of you had to say. And every now and then you post a question online, you'll get like a few answers. This blew up, like 80 of you like weighed in on this. So here's some of the uh, bad wisdom or bad advice that you guys said you heard. One was this one, all you need is love. <laughs> yeah, you laugh, it's cute, isn't it? Because you're like, yeah, okay, enough said there. Um, your goal is to make each other happy. And it's funny, every service when I say that, it's like there's silence. Like, isn't that the goal? No, that's not the goal. You can have happiness in marriage, but that's not the goal. Good luck with that. That's an unhealthy expectation that the goal is to make the other person happy. No, holiness is the goal of marriage, not happiness. So you can have happiness when you have holiness. And so uh, good luck with that one. Um, look for the person who completes you. That's a great movie line. It's just a gross reality. Unless you're talking about Jesus, because if you go after Jesus, he'll complete you. But the, when you say that, it's like, oh, are you half a person? Are you walk around like half a heart and you're half a person? You're half an identity and you're like lost going, I need to find my other half, you know? No, you're a whole person, whole heart, whole being, and you go find another whole person, whole heart, whole being, and you form together this, this union. So no, it's, it's not, you know, it's like, this, you know, go find that person who's going to complete you. You're already complete, especially if you're in Christ. This one's similar to that. There's only one soulmate out there for you. Says who? Right? Where'd you get that? And if you follow that line of thinking, because I know some of you are going, I think, that, I think that's true. You don't have that much power. Because if you marry the wrong person, you start a domino effect of wrong people marrying wrong people. You, know, you marry the person that was supposed to marry that person, and that person that was supposed to marry you now has to marry another person. And you're not that powerful. You're not that important, okay? You go find somebody that's going to be a great compliment to you. There's no, like, destiny. There's that one soulmate, and if you miss it, game over, okay? That's just terrible, bad advice. But there's some good advice out there, good wisdom, good advice, like this. Don't put your spouse on a pedestal. 
No one can live up to that pressure. That's good. That's good. Uh, don't compare your marriage to other marriages. That's good sound advice. That, that, that's, that's good wisdom. Uh, seek first to understand more than to be understood. You know, seek out the understanding. That, that's good. That's pretty good wisdom. Uh, this one from one of our elders, Ron, for the men. Don't do your wife's laundry. <laughs> right? Right? I've been, <laughs> I've been banned from ever trying to do that nice, okay? Yeah. This is all good advice. It's not bad advice, but is it the best advice? Is it the best we can get our hands on? We even asked some of our kids in church. We asked some of the children in our church, like, hey, what makes a good marriage? Here's what they said. Uh, Josiah and Reese said, a baby. A baby will make a good marriage. Maybe. Vivian said, a ring. And all the ladies go, yeah, yeah, that'll make a good marriage, right? Uh, makes a good piece of jewelry. I don't know about a marriage, but Logan said what makes a good marriage is they have me. <laughs> Luke says going on vacation makes a good marriage. So it's cute wisdom. There's some good wisdom in there, but is it the best? So when you start to think about the things we hear that's rooted in God's word, that's tied into scripture. So we hear things like this, uh, live out the great commandment by loving God and then loving one another. That's scripture. That's God. That's best advice. Uh, with God in the center of your marriage, no one can come between you. Okay? That's, that's scriptural. That's rooted in the word. Uh, some of our singles said this. They said, die to self. You're not number one in the marriage. When you look at the biblical principle of sacrifice and serving others, that's biblical. Uh, you can't expect your spouse to fulfill all your needs and to be the source of all your joy. Only God can do that. Absolutely. Some of you have, are, are weighing in. This is biblical advice you've heard. Forgive one another because we've been forgiven by Christ or by Jesus. Absolutely. So that's biblical wisdom. Remember your spouse is made in the image of God. When you honor them, you honor him. That's biblical, right? And uh, also, pray with your spouse like your marriage depends on it, because it does. Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's, but, but that's rooted in biblical understanding. So if you want the best marriage, are you going to settle for bad advice? Are you going to settle for just like good advice? Or do you want the best wisdom, the best advice you can have for marriage? So again, we want the wisdom that's truly going to lead to God's glory, let our marriages reflect him well, and our good, where we can experience all the good that God has for marriage. So with all that, we're going to take a little plunge into some biblical proverbs that will give us wisdom for our marriage. Uh, I had the task over the last few weeks of trying to find some proverbs that can apply to marriage. Between Proverbs 1 and Proverbs chapter 31. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> so I just picked five. Because if you want to find some proverbs that would be good for your marriage, I recommend reading Proverbs 1 through 31. But today we're going to look at five teachings from Proverbs that give wisdom for our marriage. First, fully embrace marriage. Fully embrace it. Some of us have had good models and good examples of marriages. Some of us have had uh, bad models and bad experiences with marriage. It'd be very easy to listen to how some people talk about their spouse, talk about their marriages, and just start to come to the conclusion or start to let our optimism about marriage erode when we hear how other people talk about marriage or when we survey the landscape of marriages and see the carnage of divorce or point to marriages that exist but are unhealthy and then come to that conclusion that marriage is bad or it's a broken union. But what's God say? What does God say about it? Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a what? 
good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So finding a spouse is a good thing. It's a good gift from God. Not the ultimate gift, but a good gift. The ultimate gift is the relationship with God himself. And because God says that marriage is a good thing, then we need to reject the perspective that marriage is bad and instead fully embrace this incredible, powerful, and holy union called marriage. Now notice, as we start to unpack it a little bit, that it's the one who finds their spouse. You have to do some seeking to do the finding. Men, your future spouse is not going to show up on your doorstep like a UPS package. You actually have to go out and do some looking around if you're going to make yourself available to be found or to find. And for some of you guys, that means you've got to get off your video games and go spouse hunting, all right? Because there's people out there to be found. Now, remember, the location you look will typically determine the quality of the character you find. And so there is a difference between the person you might meet at the club and the person you will probably meet at church, for example. And when you find that spouse, you notice here it says you obtain favor from the Lord. This is a Hebrew word, ratzon. It means goodwill. You find goodwill. You find joy. You find pleasure. You find delight when you find this person. So God's plan for marriage is that you mutually experience this joy and good in your marriage. Well, that won't happen unless you fully embrace marriage. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Whether it's a walk through the Metro Park or it's a walk through Jurassic Park, you're all in. Now notice, by the way, this good thing says that this favor from the Lord happens when a man finds a wife. It doesn't say when he finds a woman. It doesn't say when he finds a girlfriend or a live-in. Same thing, ladies. It's not when you find a husband, not when you find a man or a boyfriend or a live-in. So don't settle for less than God's best on this. And to my single friends, some of you may be called to a life of singleness, a life of focusing on serving Christ. And if you do sense that in your life, that is a high and courageous calling. And we admire you, and we want to support you. We want to learn how to celebrate that uh, with you if that's what God's calling you to. And for those who are desiring marriage, in fact, you're kind of pacing going, I am waiting to be found, or I am waiting to find somebody. Let me just encourage you with this. If God can find a spouse for Adam when he was the only man on earth, he can hook you up too, okay? And so you just got to be faithful and prayerful and patient and proactive because God's timing is perfect. So part of this best wisdom, this wisdom from God for marriage, includes seeing that marriage is something to be fully embraced, meaning we're not skeptical about it. We're not guarded. We're not going in with kind of an experimental mindset. This isn't like marital hokey pokey. I got one foot in, one foot out. We'll see how it goes. You have to fully embrace it. All in, good, bad, ugly. Metro Park, Jurassic Park, you're in. Second, wisdom for marriage that I offer today out of Proverbs. Fiercely avoid isolation. Fiercely avoid isolation. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. This is a general proverb. It applies to all relationships and to all people, but it's especially good for marriage. It's not good for us to isolate ourselves, quarantine ourselves away from wise counsel and good judgment, because once we do that, then we're left alone to our own thoughts, 
And those are good at best, but they're not best and the ultimate good. So this echoes something we see in Genesis 2.18 from the beginning. It's not good for man to be what? Alone. Like God didn't make us to dwell in isolation. So for singles, don't isolate yourself from others. Pursue good, pursue godly friendships and community, or else you're just left to your own thoughts and judgment, which is only good wisdom at best. And this principle is still essential for married people because we feel the gravitational pull of self-centeredness, self-interest, self-gratification, and all the other selves in our vocabulary, right? And so what happens is it continues to reveal to us that we have this gravitational pull away from God and away from other people drawn by our own selfish desires. And now we have these busy lives that we choose and this invasive and addictive nature of technology at our fingertips that feeds our tendency to isolate. We live in a time when you can rarely go out of your house and just Amazon your life. You can just Amazon order your life and rarely go out of the house and, cre and create an isolation experience for yourself. And so the isolated spouse can be physically absent, mentally absent, emotionally absent, relationally absent, or as we see in this picture, just distracted. Like this, this picture should hurt our hearts because a lot of us look at it and go, that's us. That's us. You want to know what that's a picture of? Isolation. You're not connecting with one another. You're not talking. You're looking at this other world out there. I tell you right now, when you stood in front of your pastor or priest or whoever to get married, that's not what you envisioned yourself doing in bed when you got married, okay? But that's where you find yourself, gravitational pull to isolation. You have to fiercely avoid isolation. Make some adjustments in your life where you're not isolating yourself. God said it's not good the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So when we think about marriage, God has designed us as husbands and wives to be a complement to one another, a team leveraging each other's uniqueness and strengths to form a bond of unity and strength that operates at its maximum capacity if the Lord is in the center of our marriage. Another pastor on my little Facebook poll said that, well, he said, your marriage is never in neutral. You're either moving toward oneness or isolation. And I think that's a good assessment. So right now, what is present in your life and in your marriage that's leading to isolation? Right now, what's dwelling in your marriage and what are you going to do about it? Will you accept God's wisdom and fiercely avoid isolation for God's glory and for your good? A third teaching from Proverbs that gives us wisdom for marriage. Faithfully demonstrate integrity. Proverbs 20, 6-7 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. Fixed on that word proclaims. He proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man who can find the righteous who walks in his, what? Integrity. Blessed are his children after him. This is one of those Bible verses that calls our bluff, especially men in this case. But we know that a man or a woman can declare, right, can profess that they love you, that they are committed, that they're good, that they're honorable, that they're the real deal, but do they demonstrate it? Because we've all probably encountered people who've declared something, but then demonstrate something different. We need to faithfully demonstrate integrity. Are we big walkers? I mean, are we big talkers or faithful walkers? 
And it says a faithful man who can find. Remember, faithfulness is not perfection, but it is consistency. That we're consistently being men and women of integrity. That as people, we're pursuing God. And we're pursuing righteousness before God and our loved ones. And we walk in integrity, meaning strong character. Undivided and uncompromising in our heart and action. And our family reaps the benefits. They're blessed when we are people of integrity. And so we want a faithful spouse who's going to partner with us and demonstrate integrity with each other and that our whole family can be blessed by that. So we faithfully demonstrate integrity when we tell the truth and are not misleading and deceitful. We faithfully demonstrate integrity when we stay our post and not abandon our family no matter how hard life hits us. We faithfully demonstrate integrity when we are trustworthy and do what we say we're going to do. We faithfully demonstrate integrity when we are the same person behind our spouse's back as we are to their face. We need to faithfully demonstrate integrity. So what is an area in your life right now where you're weakest when it comes to integrity? And how is that going to affect your marriage or your future marriage? And again, without Christ, our integrity ceiling is a little lower. Like in our humanity, we can be people of integrity. We can have good integrity. But when Christ comes to your life and the power of the Holy Spirit empowers you, the ceiling of our integrity goes up. And we have a higher capacity for integrity. And when we walk in that integrity, our spouse, our kids, everyone benefits from integrity. It's wisdom from God for our marriages. Fourth piece of wisdom from Proverbs for our marriages. Fluently speak peace. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. This is helpful to picture the home that's being talked about. In ancient Middle East and even now still in some other areas of the world, a home will have a flat roof with an area on top that you can access from inside or outside. It's kind of like a patio on top of your house. Maybe a small wall or some lattice around it. And a lot of times in the corner of the house, there'll be just like a small arbor where there can be a spot to sit or rest. So the nice thing about these roofs, uh, when you look at the Middle East, is if it's in the morning or in the evening, it's a great place to sit, visit, relax, all those kinds of things. But in the middle of the day, in the hot Middle Eastern sun, you don't want to be up there. Or when the severe storms come in that are you know, blowing everything like crazy, you don't want to be up there. And so it's a nice place to visit. You just don't want to live on the roof unless you're married to a quarrelsome spouse. And so when you look at the imagery here, basically the picture that's being painted is that eventually a person would rather take on the elements than a person who's always antagonistic in their home, always caustic in their home. This quarrelsome person. And the word quarrelsome here describes a person who's antagonistic and contentious and who enjoys and creates stress and strife, and they nag. It's just, they just poke. It's just this all day long, right? It's just this all day long. This is what it feels like to live. At some point, I want to get out of the house. I don't care how comfortable it is. I don't care if my easy chair is in this room. I want out of this space, and I want to go find some peace. That's what it feels like when you have a person who is antagonistic. I like what Pastor Tim Keller says uh, in this little book called uh, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, a great devotional read if you really dig Proverbs. On this nagging piece, he says this, to nag is not to do thoughtful criticism, 
but to do drive-bys, making brief, caustic, or cynical remarks that complain or question motives or character. See, our home should be havens, and when one spouse turns it into a place of constant tension through discontentment and arguing and nagging, it makes our spouse want to withdraw and seek a roof to go be at, whether that's a parent's house, a friend's house, the golf course, the mall, the bar, someplace to just get away from this. And so what do we have to do? We have to learn to fluently speak peace, not hostility in our homes. We have to learn how to speak that and be that person so we become fluent in speaking peace. You know, Scripture is saturated with instructions and commands and advice about what our words do as far as tearing people down or building people up. And, and what we say and how we say it and how much we say. Like God's not silent on this issue. And so we need to be a person who's fluent in speaking peace. Now I'm not talking about peacekeeping. Like, oh, I can't have conflict, can't rock the boat. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being uh, diligent and being a peacemaker through our actions and attitudes and our words. So what that means is having a Christ-driven pursuit of kindness towards your spouse and kids, a voice of encouragement, of optimism, of unity, of contentment. And when disagreement arises, you typically will engage with intentional, wise, and respectful and thoughtful criticisms or observations or solutions. And we know a lot of times for that to happen, we need to give ourselves a time out in the middle of conflict, so that we can get our bearing before emotions just hijack us and take us. Also, part of being a person who is fluent in speaking peace in their home is that when you have a spouse who's quarrelsome, you do have to do some self-reflection and go, am I doing something or not doing something that's provoking that quarrelsome person? Because maybe they've tried everything else to try to get through to you, but this is all they're left now with. This is the only recourse they have. And maybe it's not all them, but something that we do or we don't do has provoked that in them. So how fluent are you in speaking peace in your homes? It's God's perfect wisdom if we do so. And it's for his glory and our good if we fluently learn how to speak peace. And the fifth and last teaching from Proverbs today that gives us wisdom for marriage is freely enjoy intimacy. Freely enjoy intimacy. Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 says this, drink water from your own cistern. I just want to pause here. Uh, we have the luxury, we are spoiled, that we can walk up to a sink and turn a knob and get fresh water. That's a luxury. You know that's not the common worldly experience, Right? And so in this day and age, at this time of this writing, and still to this place, they would dig cisterns. They would find places to dig these wells that would hold the fresh rainwater or other sources of water that was fresh to keep it from getting contaminated, make sure it was pure and wholesome and ready and life-giving. So drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, always in her love. Pop quiz. What's the subject matter in these verses? You did exactly what the last two services did. What's the subject matter? Giggle, giggle, giggle. 
Thank you. The subject matter is sex. It's marital intimacy. If there's kids in the room, it's going to get spicy for a couple minutes. I'm just saying, all right? What we have here in Proverbs 5 is a little miniature Song of Solomon. So what God's doing here is he's displaying his high view of sex. That it's a beautiful bond of intimacy that God gave us. Designed exclusively for marriage between a man and a woman and to be enjoyed within marriage and marriage only. So listen to the words that are being spoken here of enjoyment. It's like drink, be blessed, rejoice, delight, be intoxicated. You know, there's just times you need to learn a cool Hebrew word. And I want you guys to learn the Hebrew word in the original language for that intoxicated. Say shagah. Shagah. You need to pull that one out with a buddy in the near future, right? You're just having coffee, ladies, with your friends. You're like, well, have you and your husband been having shagah? And they're like, what are you talking about shagah? They're like Googling shagah, right? Shagah means intoxicated. The context here is that it's similar to when you're drunk and you can't stand up straight. You stagger because you're captivated. It's exhilarating. It's so enjoyable, so meaningful, and you won't look for satisfaction anywhere else. See, God gave humanity the gift of sexual intimacy to enjoy exclusively within marriage. And just to make sure we understand what that means, ladies, until a man grabs you by the hands, stares you in the eye in front of God and your family and your friends and says, I take you until I die or when Jesus comes back, no nookie, all right? Guys, when that woman grabs your hand and she stares you in the eyes and she says, uh, you are mine, I am yours, I take you until Jesus comes back or I die, that's in that moment the place where God says, have an amazing, enjoyable, awesome time with the gift I gave you. Everything outside of that is misuse and abuse that hurts us. See, sex is for God's glory and for our good. It's for our Good. You know, in the culture and era when this scripture was written, most marriages were actually arranged. A lot of times you would see polygamy where there'd be more than one wife in the picture. A lot of times the, the marriages were all about a support structure or status or, or, or having security. So what happens is you get, you get arranged and it wasn't based on romance. So that's why when you read through like Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7, it's like all oh, this adultery language. What's going on here? What happened is, this was this arranged thing that brought security, but married couples would then try to supplement their sexual needs with something or someone outside of marriage. Must have stopped with them, didn't it? No, we still see that today. The people in a marriage context are trying to supplement the sexual desires that God given us outside of the design that God has given us. And I love the imagery that God has given here in Proverbs 5. He uses the imagery of water to portray marital intimacy. Water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, springs, fountains, water running off the street. He's talking about faithful and intimate um, sex. It's like pure, cool, fresh water from an exclusive well. And anything outside the water source is like drinking the dirty runoff water from the streets. Again, when this time was written, the streets were places where everybody walked, bare feet, dirty feet, animals drove carts, 
They would urinate on the street. They would defecate on the street. When the rains would come, the dirt, the feces, the urine, all mixes, flows into the gutter. Let me ask you a question. If I were to stand in front of you with a glass of fresh, pure, clean drinking water, and I were to reach down into one of those gutters and scoop up water and say, take a drink, which one would you pick? Hopefully the fresh water, right? See, we understand it when it's water because if we drink the fresh water, it's good. It's life-giving. It's nourishing. If you drink this other stuff, it's going to hurt you. It's going to make you sick. It's going to do damage. And you don't even know how it's going to do damage. You just have to wait around for the evidence to come out. We see it with water. We don't see it with sex today. Because we're settling for the water in the gutter that is in the pure glass that God's given us. This is so important. And so when you reach for pornography, gutter water. When you're flirting online with people, gutter water. Premarital sex, gutter water. Adultery, gutter water. All that's gutter water. And what's so scary, and young people, I'm talking to you, is we've got a generation that's got gutter water, 24-7 access on their phones, right in front of the face, and one day they're going to want to have pure, fresh, clean drinking water, but they won't know how. This is the imagery. This is God. And why is he harping on this? Because he wants to take something from us? No, because when we fully and freely enjoy intimacy, it's for his glory and for our good. It's for our good. Anything outside of that's bad. God in his perfect wisdom created marriage in such a way that we're to quench our sexual thirst at the springs of our spouse, not with anyone or anything else. And when we follow God's rules for sex, it increases intimacy in our marriages. It increases security in our marriages. And it increases the ability to fortify our marriages against regret and weaknesses to temptation. See, your husband, your wife, God's designed them to be your best friend, your companion, your teammate, and your lover exclusively. Notice verse 18. It's actually a blessing. It's a prayer for your sex life. It says, may or let your fountain be blessed. Is there anything going on in your life sexually right now that God would not bless? Would God sit next to you with the lyrics you listen to or the images you see or the conversations you have or the relationships you're in and would he go, I bless this. This is good. This is right. This is beautiful. Or would he say, this is water runoff from the streets and you're just drinking it and it's going to hurt you. And if there's anything in your life right now that's gutter water, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And then here's the joy we need to wrap our mind around too. No matter what mistakes we've made, guess what? You can start fresh today. You can repent from past mistakes. You can live new in Christ. Jesus is a forgiver. He's a redeemer. And Christian spouses, we're forgiven by Christ, which means that when our spouses repent of sexual sins, we extend the forgiveness that Christ has given us. And then we kick the devil in the face by restoring and enjoying the gift of marital intimacy that God has given us. New life in Christ in all areas. The five wisdoms, I want to talk about them really fast. Fully embrace marriage. Fiercely avoid isolation. Faithfully demonstrate integrity. 
fluently speak peace, freely enjoy intimacy. Which one do you feel most affirmed in and celebrate today in your marriage? Or maybe you're on track for your future marriage. And which one brings conviction and the Lord is telling you you need to grow in and make better? We don't want to settle for a weak sauce marriage when God intends for so much more for you. So please make the adjustments you need to make. Get the help you need. Make the effort and strengthen your marriage or course corrections for your future marriage. If you're single, don't make the common mistake of investing more time and energy and money on your wedding prep than your marriage prep. Everyone else, think about counseling and conferences and books and videos and studies. We have life groups that are focused on marriage. We have classes to help people that are going to get married. We have a handful of marriage mentors that would come alongside you and try to grow and encourage you in marriage. Do what's needed to grow in your marriage. And again, like I mentioned before, marriage is wonderful. Wisdom is wonderful. But understanding that apart from the one who created wisdom and created marriage is a challenge. And if we try to do marriage not in relationship with the one who created it, we're settling for something inferior. It's an inferior version of it. And we're not seeing marriage for what it really is. Marriage is the strongest representation of God's love for his people. It's a living metaphor of Jesus as the groom and the bride as the church. Marriage is this parallel picture of God's love for us and his proposal to us. Jesus proposed to you when he died on the cross for your sin. And when he rose from the grave, he's inviting you into a forever relationship, a, a heavenly marriage. I really like what Pastor Francis Chan and his wife Lisa wrote in a book they did on marriage called You and Me Forever. They say most marriage problems are not really marriage problems. They're God problems. They can be traced back to one or both, having a poor relationship with God or a faulty understanding of him. An accurate picture of God is vital to a healthy marriage. It's vital to everything. And so if we build our marriages on God's wisdom, not only will it be best to glorify him, but it will also benefit us. It will be for his glory and for our good. But again, you can't do that to its fullest extent without Christ. Christ is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Christ is our wisdom. So knowing Christ is where we start. Do you know personally and do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Are you in love with him? Are you feeling his love drawing you? If not, before you even work on your earthly marriage, I would encourage you to work on your heavenly marriage because it fuels everything else. You might be thinking, that's kind of a far reach. Like the earthly marriage, heavenly marriage, that's kind of a far leap. You know, the Lord kind of gave this to me this morning when I woke up. I came back around thinking about these points. Look, look how cool this is. When you think about the heavenly marriage, fully embracing marriage with the Lord, he found us. 
He found us, and that was a good thing, right? Is it a good thing that the Lord found you? It's a good thing, and it's for our benefit. It's God's favor in our life. And so if we want to fully embrace marriage with God, we realize he found us, he took us, and he brought us in and offered forgiveness of sins through Christ. Fiercely avoid isolation. When we try to do life apart from God by ourselves on our wisdom, we hurt ourselves. We're in trouble. Left to our own wisdom, we're going to miss God. We're going to miss heaven. So we have to come out of hiding and isolation and spiritually connect in community with the Father who made us through the Son and in His Spirit. We need to faithfully demonstrate integrity, right? God faithfully demonstrates integrity. God just doesn't declare His goodness. He demonstrates His goodness. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's faithful. It says, who can find a faithful man? It's maybe hard to find a faithful man or a faithful woman, but we don't have to look far to find a faithful God. He's right there. He's never moved. He's always available. We just have to look because he's faithfully there, a God of integrity. He always does what he says he's going to do. How about fluently speak peace? God created peace. He's the master of peace. He fluently speaks peace. He spoke peace between rebellious sinners and a holy God through the cross. And when you bring Christ into your life, he speaks peace into your life. The shalom of God comes into your life when you have Christ. And so he fluently speaks peace to us and freely enjoy intimacy. We're trying to run around this earth drinking from the gutter to satisfy the deepest needs of our life. More money, more cars, more accomplishments, more whatever. That'll give me the, the, the longing, you know, quench that thirst of the longing I have. No, it won't. You need the living water of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to absolutely freely enjoy intimacy with God, exclusively with him. You can know God's voice. You can walk in his ways and be in intimate relationship with the Lord. This is all the same, but with Christ. Have you said, I do, to Jesus yet? When he asked you to come into a relationship, have you said, yes? If not, you can today. It's as simple as what you do when you're at the altar. You look at this person, you don't know everything about them. You just know enough that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. And you take this big step of faith and go like, I do. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to learn how to walk with this partner for, for, for life and then eternity. And here we are, the same thing. You just stand before God and go, God, I clearly don't have all my questions answered, but I know I need you. I say yes today. I say yes to you today. And if you've never done that, do that today. Just tell the Lord, I say yes to you today. I accept your invitation to be married to you for eternity. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm isolated. You're pulling me out. If you do that, you have a response card in your program that just says in there, today I'm placing my faith in Christ as my Savior. Do us a favor. Mark that. Put it in the baskets to come around shortly, and we'll get in touch with you to help you grow in this relationship. Three brief application questions for you as we wrap it up. Based on everything you've heard, what do you need to do next? I truly believe that God hit all of us between the eyes somewhere. What do you need to do next? Secondly, when are you going to take that step? Because we're like, oh yeah, this is what I need to do. Really? When are you going to start? Oh, like, like today? Maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> But when? How? And then also, who are you going to ask to help encourage you and support you? You can't do it on your own. Who can come alongside you and support you, encourage you, and be with you as you step out in this way? And uh, we need that answer from the Lord in our hearts. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer as we wrap up. I want to lead us, please. Would you just pray with me? Lord, you tell us in your word that the fear of you is the beginning of knowledge to be in awe, humble reverence. Father, help us to fear you. 
we fear the wrong things. We fear rejection. We fear loneliness. We fear being wrong. All, all off base. Help us to fear you, Lord. Stir your knowledge in our heart and our life. Help us not be fools who will despise your wisdom and your instruction. Lord, you tell us by wisdom our homes will be built and by understanding our homes will be established. Lord, we ask that you would help us build our homes, our marriages, our families, our friendships on your wisdom, not our own. I just want to lead us in a few different ways that we can talk to the Lord right now. When it comes to marriage, or maybe your future potential marriage if you're single, would you just thank God for what you see? This is a chance just to give thanksgiving and praise to God. Lord, when it comes to marriage, I thank you that. Just pray whatever you're thankful for to the Lord for a second on your own. Often the greatest culprit to what's doing marriage or damage in our marriages is ourself. We're prideful, we're sinful, we do harm. Would you just spend a minute confessing to the Lord what it is that you're doing to contribute to the unhealth of your marriage or maybe your future marriage? Would you just say, Lord, when it comes to marriage, I confess to you that. Just confess to the Lord. We need all the help we can get. God's offered his wisdom. Would you just take a minute to ask the Lord for help? Where is it that you need help? Maybe one of those five areas. Do you need help speaking peace fluently? Maybe freely enjoying intimacy? What is it? Would you ask the Lord to help you right now with what area needs to change in your marriage or a course correction for your future marriage? Lord, you're holy and you're awesome. And you gave us this gift of marriage to fully embrace for your glory and for our good. Thank you. God, we confess that we do the wrong things, say the wrong things. We don't always do the right things or say the right things. Lord, so grateful for your mercy and grace. Help us to extend mercy, grace, and forgiveness to our spouses. Help us to be quick to ask for forgiveness and make amends where we need to. Wherever Satan's gotten his little claws into our marriage, may we no longer allow them to have an impact. Lord, help us to drink from the pure, fresh, life-giving water of Christ. Intimacy with him, an intimacy that we can have with one another as husband and wife. No more gutter water, Lord. Help us not drink from the gutter anymore. Would you bring that nasty image of just gross water to our minds whenever we're tempted to go to certain websites, talk to certain people, read certain books, watch certain movies, be with certain people. These lives, Lord, are an offering back to you. The potential marriages from the young people in this room, we offer them to you right now. Lord, our marriages right now, currently, we we offer them to you. Lord, those walking single or wounded or widowed or widowers, Lord, we offer our lives back to you for your glory and for our good. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.